when you entered the sanctuary today, was your heart and mind set on worship? How much thought did we give to meeting with our holy God before we entered those front doors? I think of that, and I know how difficult it is for young families. Parents and children who wake up late and are a little sleepy. Clashes break out in the hallways over who gets to shower first, who gets it next, and who's using all the hot water. Children argue with mom over what they want to wear to church and what they will not wear to church. Tempers can flare up at the breakfast table over who gets the last of the fufu. Wrestling matches can occur over who gets to read the back of the box, who gets to do the puzzle first, and sometimes cereal bowls go flying. Mom? Well, mom spends most of the morning getting corrupt, it seems. Finding socks and shirts and belts and shoes that have mysteriously disappeared since last Sunday. As well as tying ties and doing hair and cleaning up the mess. As a result, she has to put the last of her makeup on in the car on the way to church. Which is all good and well. Until dad hits the brakes hard. Or hits a bump. And mom smudges her makeup. Mom yells, slow down a little bit. But dad says, if you had gotten up a half hour earlier, and so it goes. Our hearts sometimes, when we come to worship, are filled with hostility and anger. Yet what happens? Our car pulls up at church. We get out of our car. We greet everyone in the lobby with a smile and a warm good morning. Minutes later, we're sitting in the sanctuary together singing, Come praise the Lord. Let us rejoice and let us make a joyful noise. Somehow that doesn't seem right. If that doesn't describe you, then maybe this does. Maybe you're the kind of person who draws near to worship with all joyous intentions. But then during the service, you can't seem to pay attention. Your thoughts drift as the minister reads the law. You take that little power nap. When the minister prays, you praise that long prayer. Your thoughts drift as well during the sermon. You just think about work. Or you doodle on your bulletin. Or you glance around the sanctuary looking for new visitors. Or you watch that cute baby she rose up. Or sometimes, this is a favorite of new sitters. You find someone sweet and young people who count the head bobs. That can be funny. Can be distracting, at least this half of the time. Right? If this is true of you in any way, and I'm fairly certain that we are all 
we shouldn't be laughing at that. It ought to grieve our hearts. We hear this is what goes on in churches today. For once we lose our sense of reverence and respect and awe in the presence of God, we make a mockery of him. We lay God down from heaven and we approach worship no differently than if we're walking down the hallway in our pajamas to watch for the night. Surely, our generation needs to repent, for we have made God so small. In fact, we fashion God after our image, the image in which we want God to be. Well, the next time, those friends, those acquaintances, those relatives tell you that God doesn't care how we come before him, please, please take a moment and share with them this verse. Tell them what Ecclesiastes 5 verse 1 says about those who draw near to God for worship. Tell them that the Bible commands us to guard our steps when we go to the house of God. from scripture to back this up. I was reading this past week in Exodus 3, where the Lord called out to Moses from the midst of the burning bush. But what I found so fascinating is that after the Lord called Moses' name, and Moses responded and drew near to the bush, what was the first thing the Lord said to him? Was the Lord just happy that Moses bothered to walk over and do what he wanted? Was the Lord just happy that Moses showed up at the burning bush? Did the Lord tell him what he wanted him to do? No. Boys and girls, before the Lord said anything else or did anything else, he told Moses to take off his sandals. For the ground upon which he was standing was holy ground. Taking off sandals was a sign of great respect and humility. God wanted Moses to know that he was in the very presence of the Almighty God. He was standing in the sanctuary of God. And this God is majestic and mighty. It's crowned by heavenly glory and light unapproachable, so much so that none on earth may look upon the Lord in his glory and live. This is the same majestic and mighty and awesome God who calls us to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. Not in the casualness, but in the splendor of his holiness. So contrary to what some might say, God is extremely concerned about how we approach him. But what do you think God would have done to Moses if he replied, hey God, lighten up. Don't be so stuffy. I'm here, aren't I? And that's important, and that's the important thing. Anyone here wonder what God would have done had Moses dared to say that? 
struggle to be seen that way. We live in the New Testament age. And we have Jesus as our mediator between us and God. So God isn't really as strict now. This points us to another passage in the New Testament. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire.
it also is filled with a sense of urgency, knowing that when we draw near to God in worship, we're bringing God the worship he deserves and desires. Worship is what we owe to God. Worship is our obligation. Sometimes we get that backwards, and we think that God owes us for going to worship. God should reward us for going to church so faithfully. But those are the thoughts of a fool. God calls us to worship because this is what we are precise to have been created to do. And while the praises and prayers which we bring before God are an important element of our worship, the most important aspect of worship is listening to what God tells us. Boys and girls, there's nothing more important than listening to God's word in worship. We listen to what God tells us as the law is read and as the gospel is preached. We listen as God tells us again and again that he is our God. We are his people. And how through Jesus Christ, God loves us and cares for us and saves us from sin and Satan. We listen because God knows what's best for us. God knows that this is the message we need to hear every time we come into his presence. This is the message that gives life. But fools, on the other hand, draw near to God with many words on their lips, but they aren't listening to what God has to say. Look at verse 23. Don't be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. So let your words be few. What comes to mind is what Jesus says about the babbling pagan who prays, thinking they will be heard because of their many words. Matthew 7, verse 7. But boys and girls, if we're always busy talking, what are we not doing? If our mouth is open, and we're always saying something, it means that our ears are closed, and we're not listening. And you and I also know those people who, even though they might stop talking for a moment, to give us a chance to speak, they're not really listening to what we say. Before we're finished speaking, they interrupt us and start talking again, and totally ignore what we said. I think it's a neat little coincidence. Maybe a helpful reminder to us that the words listen and silence, listen and silence, are spelled with the same letter. It reminds us that one has to be truly silent to listen and hear. And that's what God demands of us when we draw near to him for worship. We are to silence our mouths, our minds, our objections, our excuses, and 
open our ears and hearts that we might listen to what God is saying. Recall what Jesus said. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Listen to what James says. Each of us should be quick to listen and slow to speak. In addition to not listening, the the Bible makes clear that fools are also those who offer unacceptable sacrifices to God. Fools ignore the instruction of God's word. The prophet Malachi spoke of how God's people dishonored God with their sacrifices. Instead of bringing to the priests the firstborn of their flocks and herds, the very best they brought before God, their blind, lame, and sick animals for sacrifice. Likewise, fools present their offerings to the priests, but they give no heed to the call of repentance. In other words, in their hearts, They think they have fulfilled their commitment to God by jumping through the hoops, by performing their religious obligations. Isaiah 29 verse 13 says, Put it this way, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. I think that verse is terrifying. It's just like the fear and terror of God in the hearts of every sincere worshiper. Who among us has not done this? How often don't we come to church and just go through the motions? We sing the songs with no regard for the words. We don't pray with the minister, but say these instead. We look like we're listening to the message, but 30 minutes after the service, we can't even remember what the thing was about. And worst of all, we go back to work the next day, and our lives are completely unaffected. We're completely unchanged. We forget that when we draw near to God for worship, when we come to hear hear his word, we should never, ever leave this house of worship unchanged or unaffected. If we truly listen when God speaks to us, it's impossible not to change. It is impossible not to be transformed. It's only a fool. It is only a hypocrite. It's only a liar and a pretender that can come into the presence of God and can leave unchanged, unmoved, and unconverted. I close this first point with this thought. When we stop to consider how zealous God is for right worship and pure worship, and how unholy and unworthy and insincere 
just like in the desert where we sin. It's a wonder that the Lord doesn't use us like Eli to slay his sons, like Nahab and Abihu, whom the Lord struck dead for offering up unlawful incense to the Lord. intercedes for us so that we are not so that we are not condemned by our holy God thanks be to God that by his spirit and grace he has thus humbled hearts and open minds and submissive hearts to truly listen to what God says in his word and apply that word to our lives Vowing to turn over a new leaf, promising that if 
They dedicate 50% to him, for example. But in the end, well, God is faithful. But they don't keep their vow, and they are not faithful. And later they have to argue with the temple messenger, saying, my vow was a mistake. You can hear someone say, I meant well. I meant what I said. My heart was in the right place. But Solomon correctly notes, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. If it turns out that the promises, the vows, the words we utter in worship are as empty and meaningless as a dream, then, then it means that our worship is without substance and sincerity. Today in the church, we still make vows to God. We make vows and promises before God when we marry, love, and cherish. We make vows when we present our children for baptism, to instruct our children in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. When we make profession of faith, we make a vow. We continue to walk with the Lord faithfully. When we are, are ordained to office, we promise to faithfully discharge our duties. And there are times when we make our private vows to God. We promise God that if he will bless us financially, we will bring before him the full tithe. If God heals our child, we will dedicate ourselves to God more fully, more completely. And it might surprise us a bit, but in many of the psalms and hymns we sing, we make vows to God as well. Listen to Psalm 89. I will forever sing of your great love, O Lord. There's Psalm 119. Teach me your statutes, Lord, and to the end I will obey them in complete submission. Psalm 145. I will exalt you, O my God and King, and bless your name forever as I sing. And hymn 26. O Savior, you have ransomed, ransomed us, hence we will honor and adore you. How many times haven't we made those very words upon our lips without giving a deep thought to the substance of what we're saying? How many times have we, like fools, sung those words thoughtlessly, mindlessly, and heartlessly, with no intention of doing what we said? Truth be told, we break our vows before God time and time again. We break our vows as husband and wife. We break our vows as parents to our children, as young people making profession of faith, as office bearers serving in the church. In this way, we are all like fools who make promises to God that we break time and time again. And the thing is this, the only way we can escape this foolishness and get back to worshiping God as we ought, the way we command in reverence and fear and awe, in spirit and in truth, by being honest about this, by confessing our foolishness and, yes, our hypocrisy, by recognizing and admitting that we are not as engaged in worship as we should be, that we are prone to distraction and boredom. We tend to come to church and go through the motions and go home 